Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The idea of being abducted by aliens is certainly terrifying, but can you imagine how frightening it would be if it actually happened to you? The individuals on this list not only lived through this horrifying ordeal, but they also experienced some of the most brutal and scary alien encounters ever reported. These are four frightening alien abduction cases. Number four, Antonio Villas Boas. In 1957, 23-year-old Antonio Villas Boas was a farmer who often worked his family's plantation farm at night in order to avoid the daytime heat. The work was mundane, but on October 5th, he noticed something in the night sky that would change his life forever. A light from above steadily began moving towards him. Frightened, he ran into the house, slammed the shutters closed, and woke his brother up. They both observed the light coming through the shutters for a brief time before it eventually left. Then on October 14th, while he and his brother were tilling the fields that evening, they both saw the bright light again, and it hovered around 300 feet above their heads. Antonio went to investigate this time, but as he approached, it would dart away with tremendous speed towards the other side of the field. He played this game with the object for a while before finally giving up. Two days later, Antonio was in the fields alone when he saw the light again. He described it as a red star in the night sky. The light zoomed directly towards him and then stopped about a hundred feet above. It was only then that he noticed the shape was elongated with several legs sticking out as if it was preparing to land. He made a run for his tractor in order to get away, but the engine was dead and he was stuck. He headed for the house on foot but was suddenly grabbed by a small figure wearing unusual clothes. Three other small beings then grabbed him and carried him into their ship. Antonio described the figures as wearing tight-fitting suits with thick, striped gray material that went up to their necks. 
They wore helmets that revealed only their eyes, which were light blue in color. Once on the ship, he was taken to a room with an oddly shaped table. He could hear the strange creatures communicating to one another, and to him they sounded like animals. He was then stripped naked, but he made it clear that they never employed force. Afterwards, they rubbed a clear, odorless liquid all over his body and led him to another room with a red inscription above the door. While inside, he was left alone for around an hour when suddenly he noticed a gray smoke filling up the room. Shortly after, a naked female entered. Although she looked similar to a human, he knew she wasn't. She had blonde hair, high cheekbones, and a pointed chin with slightly slanted blue eyes. Antonio realized that either the liquid or the gray smoke sprayed in the room might have been an aphrodisiac because the two ended up having sex, but the woman never spoke and they never kissed. Before leaving, this female pointed to her belly while smiling and then pointed to the sky, perhaps indicating she would take their offspring to her home planet. After this, he was given his clothes back and led on a tour of the ship as the creatures pointed to various things that might be of interest to him. He was finally gestured to head down a ladder. Once on the ground, one of the figures pointed to itself, then to the ground, and then to the southern direction in the sky. Antonio was motioned to step back as the ladder attracted, and the ship began to rotate at terrific speed before darting off. He returned home at 5.30 a.m. that morning, noting he was likely in the ship for four to five hours. After this abduction, he reported feeling nauseous and weak, and unusual lesions began to appear on his skin. He was examined by a doctor who concluded that he was suffering from mild exposure to radiation. Where he got it from, they couldn't explain. Antonio eventually went on to become a lawyer. His abduction incident happened prior to the famous Betty and Barney Hill incident, and unlike theirs, Antonio remembered every detail of his encounter with the extraterrestrial beings. Number 3. Jesse Long In 1957, Jesse Long was only five years old and living in Tennessee. He remembers playing with his brother one day and finding a round house on a hill being constructed close to their home. Being curious, the boys decided to check it out, and that's when they noticed a tall man standing in front of them who was flashing a bright light. The light, according to Jesse, kept him from moving as if he was paralyzed, and then after that, he couldn't recall exactly what happened. Years later, when he underwent regressive hypnosis, he was able to recount the chilling course of events that did occur that day. He remembered being separated from his brother and then was led to a room and placed on a table. An implant of some sort was placed in his left shin and for many years that same leg caused him pain. For 34 years, the strange implant was left inside his leg until he decided to have it removed via surgery in 1991. Sure enough, when it was taken out, it looked just like a piece of glass. The object was sent in for examination, and according to the Southwest Research Institute, the item bore a remarkable composition, having unique surface characteristics that cannot be explained. For years after his first experience, Jesse says the aliens repeatedly abducted him, in one incident, he recalled that they performed a sperm extraction. 
Another time, he remembered being forced to interbreed with some sort of female being. On his way out of the ship, childlike aliens would touch his hands, almost communicating to him that they were okay and saying thank you. There was another instance where Jesse was driving towards New Orleans and found himself suddenly greeted by a bright light just around Albuquerque, New Mexico. He was lifted off the ground from the interstate while still in his car and brought inside an alien craft where, to his shock, he was presented with an alien baby and told it was his child. He wasn't sure whether they wanted him to take care of it or simply wanted to let him know of its existence. Jesse took note, however, that most of the other aliens present seemed proud of what they had achieved. Number 2. Travis Walton On the night of November 5, 1975, Travis Walton and six crewmen prepped to head home after a long day of work at the Apache National Forest in Arizona. The crew was hired to clear out trees on a government contract, and the men piled into foreman Mike Rogers' pickup to head home. As they were driving, they couldn't believe what they saw as a luminous-type object that was shaped like a disc was on the road up ahead. They stopped, and enthralled by it, Travis decided to get out of the truck to investigate, despite his crewmates' insistence not to. He gazed up at the ship when out of nowhere, he was thrown to the ground as a bright blue beam hit him. The men in the truck, in fear, drove off and left him behind, but after several minutes, they came to their senses and headed back to get him. But when they got there, Travis and the ship had disappeared. They headed back to the town of Snowflake and reported the incident to police. They spoke to Deputy Ellison and Sheriff Marlon Gillespie, who said the men were all distressed about what they had seen. The crewmen, together with the police, decided to return to the area to look for Travis again, but still couldn't find him. So they went back the following day, under daylight, in hopes it would be easier, but unfortunately, he was nowhere to be found. News soon spread and UFO researchers, reporters, and journalists descended upon the area. For days, men on foot with scent dogs and even four-wheeled vehicles looked for Travis. Police were worried he may have been injured, incapacitated, or disoriented from the attack. They also feared for his survival since temperatures would drastically drop at night. After not finding any sign of Walton for days, police began to consider other possibilities including that of murder. Police did a thorough background check on all the men. They were even asked to go through a polygraph test to confirm their story. All the men passed except for one person, Alan Dallas, whose results were inconclusive. After further interviews, police decided there was no reason for the men to cover up a fight or even a possible murder, and so that meant they were only left with one possibility that Walton had indeed vanished under mysterious circumstances. The stories began to surge about the disappearance. Five days later, Travis Walton reappeared. He found himself lying face down on a highway west of Heber, Arizona. The cold air caused him to wake up and he walked to a small gas station, hungry, dirty, and weak. After he was rescued, he was taken to a hospital for medical examination and when asked where he had been, Travis recounted his tale. When the blue beam hit him and threw him to the ground, he lost consciousness 
When he awoke, it was inside a room under a light, and he initially thought his friends had taken him to the hospital. But then he noticed the people around him weren't human, and that he wasn't even in a hospital. He fought back and managed to cause the creatures to leave the room. Afterwards, he explored his surroundings before another being interrupted him. This time, it looked like a human, but with a helmet on its head and bigger golden eyes. He was led outside of a disc-shaped craft and into what looked to be a hangar of some sort with other crafts inside. After that, he met three humanoid figures without helmets and he tried asking questions, but they only replied by smiling. Before he knew it, one of the creatures slipped a mask over his face and he passed out again. The next time he woke up was on the pavement on that highway. At the gas station, Walton then called his brother-in-law Grant, thinking he was just gone for several hours and not five days. What followed was an intensive examination of Travis's story. He was subjected to several polygraph tests, which are still controversial and inconclusive today. A lot of people thought Travis and company faked the entire thing, while others believed the incident to be very true. Whatever the case may be, there's no denying it's one of the most perplexing and chilling abduction cases ever reported. Number 1. Gundaya McKay Abduction This event happened on October 4th, 2001, on the Gandaya property near Tiaro, Australia. The three people directly involved in the incident were 39-year-old Keith Raylance, his 22-year-old wife, Amy, and Petra Heller, who was 35. All three of them were staying in a caravan annex. By 9.30 p.m., Keith had gone inside the bedroom while Petra went into the caravan annex. Meanwhile, Amy was left in the lounge area watching TV. All three rooms were in close proximity to one another and only separated by a wall and window. In fact, Petra's room had a door leading to the lounge room and this was left partially open. Keith's bedroom door had a direct opening to the lounge as well. Around 11 p.m., Petra woke up and walked into the lounge room and to her shock, she saw a strange beam of light coming in through the open window. According to her, at the end of the beam, she could see Amy in a sleeping position being carried outside head first. The beam also carried out a few items from the coffee table, which was directly in front of the couch. This beam was coming from a flying disc hovering just off the ground, and in shock, Petra fainted. When she came to, she went into hysterics. Keith woke up and rushed to her, only to find her agitated and inconsolable. Amy wasn't in the room, and the contents of the coffee table were strewn on the floor. Moreover, he saw the window screen had been cut in a vertical fashion, as well as at the bottom of the frame. He rushed outside to look for Amy, but couldn't find her, and when he finally managed to get the story out of Petra, he wasn't sure what to believe. He called police around 11.40 p.m., and when they got there, they were thinking foul play was involved because of the outrageous story proposed. Authorities examined the window and the area outside directly beneath it. They noticed a flower bush seemed to have been affected by heat on its left side, but the right side was relatively okay. As the investigation continued, Keith received a phone call from a woman in McKay 
which was 790 kilometers away. That's around an eight to nine hour drive by car. And she said that she had taken in a young woman who looked distressed and dehydrated. It was Amy. Amy swore in a police affidavit she had no memory of what Petra saw. All she remembered was falling asleep on the couch and then waking up on a bench in a strange rectangular room. She called out and heard a male voice asking her to stay calm. Then there was an opening on the wall and a male about six feet tall walked in. This man was slender and covered in a full bodysuit. A black mask covered his face except for holes left for his eyes, mouth, and nose. He again reassured her it was okay and explained that they would return her away from where they took her because the lights on the property didn't look right. Afterward, she woke up on the road and saw the lights from a gas station. She walked in and the staff, seeing her state, helped her out. She had no idea where she was and could not answer any identifying questions because she was thoroughly disoriented. The staff thought she had been drinking or was on drugs, which Amy explained that she wasn't. Amy told police this had never happened to her before except when she was five years old, when she had seen a large UFO surrounded by smaller ones. She noted some unusual things she found on her body, including a triangular mark on her inner thigh, as well as some marks on her heel. All three also noticed her hair had grown out, showing her real hair color when she had just dyed it a week ago. Her body hair had also grown out considerably despite the seemingly short amount of time she was gone. Keith contacted Diane Harrison from the Australian UFO Research Network. In turn, she contacted Bill Chalker, a UFO researcher who specializes in solid light encounters. Diane and Bill decided to investigate the home, and the two researchers arrived while Keith, Amy, and Petra were in a hotel in McKay. Bill and Diane also headed to McKay to interview the gas station employees where Amy had asked for help. Even though Keith indicated the trio would meet Bill and Diane there, when the researchers got to the hotel, it turns out that the three had already checked out. When they inquired as to why, Keith said a high-powered, dark brown four-wheeled truck was pursuing them, and it frightened them so much that they decided to head out of town as soon as possible. To this day, the Gandaya Mackay incident remains one of the most mysterious and frightening abductions ever reported. So there were four frightening alien abduction cases. UFO abduction reports are bizarre enough, but hearing all these frightening experiences makes you think, if aliens are really out there, what exactly is it that they want from us? If you enjoyed this, then please check out some of our other alien and UFO videos. And remember to subscribe because each Saturday night we'll post new videos for you to check out. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next week.